Blog Talk Radio. We all have inner work to do. Real life, real faith is an opportunity to connect with Cheryl and her guests as they take you on a journey to help you become your authentic self. Whether you need help goal setting, developing coping skills, or connecting with a power greater than yourself, Cheryl is here to walk with you on your path to personal transformation. Get inspired as Cheryl lets you become an active participant or just sit back and glean from the messages delivered. It's Real Life, Real Faith with Cheryl Lacey Donovan. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Real Life, Real Faith. We have been on a hiatus for the last month for the holiday season, but we want to make sure that we wish all of you a very happy new year. And we are excited to be beginning our new year this year with uh, Trayvon Martin's parents. Yes, we have Sabrina Fulton and Tracy Martin that will be joining us here on Real Real Life, Real Faith a little later on in the broadcast. But, you know, um, it's been almost uh, about four years since Trayvon Martin was basically killed by George Zimmerman. And during that time, we first began hearing the term Black Lives Matter, Black Lives Matter. Um, We know George Zimmerman was acquitted in July of 2013, but since that time, it seems that there rarely is a day that goes by that we do not hear about a young African-American male being shot down by um, police or, or someone else. And it really brings the question to the forefront about Black Lives Matter and what that actually really means. What is the end game? Where are we trying to go? What are all the protests about? Because at least for me at this point, I'm really not sure if we have uh, made a whole lot of gain since the uh, senseless killing of Trayvon Martin. Um, I know Tracy and Sabrina started the Trayvon Martin Foundation um, and connecting with the circle of mothers who are women that have lost their children to gun violence. Um, Just earlier today, even, the president instituted some additional guidelines to try to help curtail some of the selling of these firearms. So, You know, I don't know what it's going to take. I don't know what it is that we're going to need to do in order to help this thing change. But um, right now it's very difficult to see the light of day. I'm hoping that at some point we can all come together and come up with a comprehensive plan to make some differences and make some changes, but I really don't see that happening right now. Um, Not very long ago, around October, November of last year even, I interviewed um, someone that was talking about the Sandra Bland case, and again, that term Black Lives Matter popped up yet again, and and I'm not sure, I'm not sure what inroads we're really making when we think about Black Lives Matter and what we're really trying to um, accomplish with that. I, I I would think that it would be a little bit more than getting a street named after a person because I know in our case here in, in Texas, uh, they did name that street after Sandra Bland, but is that really enough? I mean, aren't we really looking for something more, some some, some specific guidelines of the way that we um, deal with people, particularly people uh, that are in the mental health 
having mental health issues and things like that. One of the young men that was shot down recently obviously, you know, had something going on with him, and, and they chose to shoot him rather than to deal with him in a different manner. So I don't know. Black lives do matter. I know that they matter, but what is our end game, and where are we trying to, where are we trying to go? with this whole movement. And it's a question that I think needs to be asked. I think it's something that we need to look at and think about as as far as how we are connecting the dots and connecting with one another and, and unifying ourselves together in order to make some difference and to make some changes. Uh, and, and that's really sometimes one of the biggest issues that we have in our community is that it's difficult for us to unify ourselves you know, and so um, having said that and having brought up the issue of um, mental health issues, I know that we have somebody on the line with us tonight that deals in the mental health area, and his name is Hurley Morgan. And as we wait on Sabrina Fulton and Tracy Martin to get on the line tonight, I thought maybe I'd let uh, Hurley weigh in a little bit as to what he thinks about where we are in the whole Black Lives Matter movement, um, how some of that may correspond with what we look at in the mental health field with regards to some of these people having been shot because they were having um, a mental health breakdown and whether or not the police as a whole are trained to deal with these kinds of issues. Hey, Hurley, thank you for joining me tonight. Hey, how are you tonight? I'm doing just fine. I know Hurley's probably like, what is she doing? I was trying to just call and listen. <laughs> you're right, you're but right, you're right, but I'm, I'm good. <laughs> okay, all right. So I, I thought we'd have a little conversation quickly here um, as we wait on them to get on the line and just ask you what you think about the whole thing. I, I you know, the Black Lives Matter movement is a, is a wonderful thing, but does it really have any teeth? Are we doing anything more than uh, just protesting, and uh, what what are we gaining through those protests? What what do you think about that? Well, I think, like you said, the protests are important, and I think they should happen. But there's a lot of stuff that also needs to take place around it, and and you know, mental health, and whether it's you know someone who's not truly mental health, and they're kind of blaming it on mental health, whatever you look at it. Is it needs to start more with a, a foundation that comes in our community as a whole, and when I say that is, you know, we can do Black Lives Matter all day, and we can, you know, go at the the masses, whoever may be the person who or people or entity that sees us, but until we get a handle on things within our community, you know, us saying Black Lives Matter really is not going to matter because we 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 deal with so much internally as far as black on black crime and that's still high mm-hmm. you know we 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 fail to talk about that a lot of time now because we're so we have so much attention on you know the police and everybody else who are still attacking us yes those things are big as well but we still have a problem within our community and we we pull each other down so so often that it's hard to build each other up with a platform such as Black Lives Matter. I mean, it's a wonderful thing, um, and you know, and the the ones that came before us would would love to see more come from it. But they also have to understand that you know, when whenever you have a Black Lives Matter or something like that, and we're dealing with stuff already in our community, 
we have to clean up all of that first because, you know, like I said, we we talk to these people and we see them in the community every day. I work in the community and I see it every day within our community. I see kids, you know, on, you know, in the streets. In the streets are their family. I see, you know, families, single parent families that, you know, the kids pretty much come home. There's no one to supervise them to do their work. These kids become oppositional, and then they get labeled as, you know, having mental health services or needing mental health services. So it's a whole lot of stuff that comes about the mental health world that we see where, you know, if we just clean up what we have going on within our community, some things may look a little different to us as it pertains to mental health and what is really needed. But it's such a cloud over us right now in in our community as a whole because we still haven't gotten that sense of unity. If you look at every community out there and compare it to ours, you, you will see that we are the one community that does not support one another on, on a grand stand. So mm-hmm. in order for us to, to really to um, make any sense with Black Lives Matter, because you got a lot of people mocking Black Lives Matter. You know, it's like mm-hmm. you, know, you talk about Black Lives Matter, but you guys are still killing each other or you're still bringing each other down. You don't support each other in your community. You don't, you know, from businesses to mental health, whatever it is in the community, we don't support it. And we 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 kill each other over shoes. We kill each other over uh, gang sets and those kind of things. And it really doesn't make sense to some of us, but we, we have to get the ones that are really doing it to, to somehow see the wrong in their way until we get that under control, you're just going to have a cycle of individuals mm-hmm. that are coming up in a system that oh, year after year is going to be the same thing, and we're going to continue to see our young men getting killed in the street because they don't know that if we don't put our hands up or we don't do certain things that, you know, these people are taking aim at us and, and feel that we're a threat, so they're going to shoot mm-hmm. us, regardless of whether or not we're a threat to them or not, and they're going to use some sort of excuse to justify what they did, so we have to we have to teach you know our young brothers and sisters how to to look at you know what society as a whole sees and how to mm-hmm. respond. And some people look at it as well, you're selling out or you're just giving in. You know that's a thin line right there. It's like, are you really giving in or are you just playing it playing by the rules? Because you know in any Avenue that we are, we have to be able to play in that avenue and that how the game is played. And if we want to fix it, we have to do it on you know a unified front. If we want to really fix the issues that are going on in our community as it pertains to Black Lives Matter, mental health issues, or any of the issues in our community. And you know, one of the things that um, you you kind of brought up that that brought to my attention something that I, I say all the time we. We hear people say many times that it is out of fear that these things are occurring. And in my mind, I really don't, I don't really see it as fear. Um, one of the reasons, yeah, I tell people all the time how when you look at that situation where the young man was walking away from the people, yes, obviously there was something wrong with him, but for them to shoot him 16, 17 times, yeah. in my mind, yeah. that is not fear, especially with somebody walking away from you that had a knife and you had a gun. Mm -hmm. In my mind, Mm -hmm. it seems more like a sense of entitlement, a sense Mm -hmm. of 
you know, this is mine, and I'm not going to let allow you all to take this away. This is who I am, and I'm entitled to this, and and I'm superior to you, and this is just how I feel about you. I really don't think it's fair. I don't know what you say to that. Well, you know, I I agree as far as um, you know, on both ends, you know, from the the person who does the shooting to the person who is getting shot. On both ends is you know we it's it's it looks more like a power struggle at this point in time. It's like, you know, what do you do? You know, as far as the person on the end of getting shot, you're you you you're looking at, okay, yes, I put my hand up, and I'm, I'm now walking away, but what would have happened if I didn't walk away? You know, and then the person who's doing the shooting, why are you shooting them that many times? Like, it, it, I, I think that in their training, I would think that their training is to to maim, not kill. So, you know, why are all these all of these these crazy number of shots going off at an individual, one individual, and they're not doing anything to shoot back? Because we have so many examples of, you know, you can say what you want to say about, you know, well, they shouldn't have done it. They should have just complied. Well, you got other examples across the country. You know, we have this thing going on in Oregon now that, you know, it's it's, it's kind of flying under the radar, but. We all, you know, in the African-American community, are, we definitely are taking interest in it because we know that, that if that would have been somebody of color, of any color, it wouldn't, be, it wouldn't be going down like that. It wouldn't be any negotiating. It wouldn't be any talking. So the sense of entitlement, I do see that when, it, when you talk about the officers that might be doing this stuff and instead of, you know, negotiating like they do in some situations or or, or – Instead of like maybe instead of shooting to kill, shooting to maim, they just go full throttle and you know go from zero to one hundred in in some young man's life, which is not fair. And you know, and we're we're sitting here in a divided country right now, where you know some people say that you know you're playing the race card too much, and then then on our end, we feel like we are we are entitled to say that it is a. You know, a race, you know, a race issue in America. That when you when you have these situations, so yes, I do agree when it comes down to it that you know a lot of people have that sense of entitlement as as far as how they handle certain situations, especially when it comes to us. You know, that's you know basically how I see it. Well, you know what, I, I definitely agree with you, and as we continue to wait on. Um, uh, Tracy Martin and Sabrina Fulton, we're going to come back in just a moment. I'm going to ask you a couple of more questions of, of some okay. things that you brought up when you uh, when you were talking just a moment ago. So, everybody, this is Real Life, Real Faith with Cheryl A.C. Donovan. Tonight we're talking about Black Lives Matter, and we are currently just waiting on the parents of Trayvon Martin, Sabrina Fulton and Tracy Martin, and we'll be back here in just a moment on Real Life, Real Faith. You don't usually get a stock tip from a 16-year-old, but I'm here to tell you about a different kind of stock. It's called Better Futures, a stock for social change that's not about making money. Instead, you invest to help students like me go to college. This is beyond a simple donation. It's the opportunity for America to invest in its kids and take an active stake in the future of the country. The return on your investment isn't money. What you get back is knowing you protected our potential. So one day, that potential can grow up to become surgeons and architects, executives and engineers, people who can change the future just by being a part of it. My name is Alicia, and I am your dividend. 
Invest in better futures with UNCF. Visit uncf.org slash invest. A mind is a terrible thing to waste, but a wonderful thing to invest in. A public service announcement brought to you by UNCF and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Real Life Real Faith. Tonight we are talking about Black Lives Matter. We are approaching the four-year anniversary of the death of Trayvon Martin, who was killed at the hands of George Zimmerman, who was then acquitted in July of uh, 2013. And um, that is when we first saw the uh, first hashtag of Black Lives Matter. And we know now that we see that very often, Eric Garner, uh, Tamir Rice, uh, Michael Brown and others that have been killed since then, and it, it has become very prevalent around the country to say Black Lives Matter. But right now we're kind of discussing whether or not the movement, or not so much whether or not the movement is is a good movement, but whether or not it's really making some strides with regards to changing the way that things are done. And, Hurley, one of the things you spoke to earlier was about um, whether or not uh, talking about the officers' training. And I, I really wonder if the officers are getting the proper training, especially when it comes to dealing with mental health cases. Because in my mind, you know, you see somebody running down the street that's naked or somebody running down the street erratically or whatever the case may be, surely uh, at some point it must come to your mind that something is not quite right with that individual, mm-hmm. and um, if they're not being trained, what kind of training should they be receiving? Because I've also heard other people say that it is um, it used to be that police officers were trained to serve and protect. That's what it was all about, mm-hmm. serve and protect, and that their motto still is serve and protect, but it seems like they're more militarized now than anything. It's like they're going into our communities in particular as if they're combat zones as opposed to being communities. So um, maybe you can kind of speak a little bit to uh, the whole training as far as mental health, what, what they should be receiving, maybe as opposed to what they really are receiving. Well, I can um, first in, in Charlotte, North Carolina, um, where I do my my, my work at, um, we we go through a series of training as mental health providers and mental health workers, and one of the trainings that we went to probably about two or three years ago, we we create these plans for individuals called person centered plans, which talk about their diagnosis, what goals they be writing, you know, need to work on as it pertains to mental health. And one of the things we do, we create a crisis plan. And on that crisis plan, they, the state wanted us to pretty much put on a specialized number for Charlotte uh, CMPD, which when, when, a, when a person is dealing in a crisis when it comes to mental health, you, you reach out to, you don't call just any police officer, because not all police officers were trained in, in mental health uh, calls. So you specifically ask for an officer that has had mental health training. So when they come out on the scene, they know that, okay, this is not a normal call. This is a call to dealing with somebody who possibly may be in crisis, who may be a danger or a threat to themselves or someone else. So, therefore, we have to handle it as such. We're not dealing with a, a, a sane-minded individual. We're dealing with somebody who has mental health issues. So, as a whole, I think, you know, everyone needs to have, when, when you're dealing, in the, in the, um, dealing 
any contact with human services, whether it's a teacher or it's a police officer, I think everyone needs to have a certain amount of training to understand the mindset of someone who who has mental health issues because you, you're, you're dealing with, they have mental health illnesses for a reason. So it's like you're dealing with that illness at that point in time. You're not dealing with a rational person who may be bipolar or who may have, uh, you know, schizophrenia, somebody who's hearing voices or those kind of things. You're, you're dealing with that mental illness at that point in time. So I can't approach them like I'm approaching this, the, the person who's of same mind because I can't, at that point in time, I can't rationalize with them. So they have to be able to, uh, you know, approach them and such. And, and, and that, that deals with the same kind of thing as the escalating the situation. And we use these terms in mental health for a reason because a lot of times mental health providers, as, as we go into certain situations, we can rile up a situation based on how we respond to it, and we might cause more damage. So they have to understand it's the same type of thing. When you go in with a, a stern attitude where I'm going to control this environment because I am the, the, the authority, then sometimes that backfires on it. Now we have a power struggle between a sane officer and uh, a person who may have some sort of severe mental health illness who's going to win that battle. You know, that person with, that, that has a mental health illness is not necessarily going to back down because you have a gun. They're not seeing that. They can't rationalize mm-hmm. at that point in time. So you're dealing with a whole new situation. So until they get that piece where the officers are being trained to deal with situations, talk first before you, you know. And, you know, and that's just, I would think that's their typical training anyway, to talk first before you go in a situation looking to harm. And I think so many times in our situation where we see these, um, you, you know, our African-American men or, you know, t- uh, in some senses, African-American women are being killed by these officers, they don't think to talk to them first. It's, it's already, you know, you go in set to attack. It's not, you know, you go in on the defense, not on offense, the situation. You go in ready to defend whatever it is you're trying to defend at that point in time. So, you have a different mindset, so of course that's why these officers are shooting these people just just be killing them and it's and it's a bad situation for us because even even in situations where we have obeyed the the law and we have sat down and we have you know gave in to that authority, there have been situations where we have been killed. So, you know, you're dealing with the training. It is, it's all about training and a willingness to comply to that training because we can, we can train individuals all day, but if they're not willing to comply because of their own biases, sometimes that's even going to, you know, the training is not even going to matter because you're still going to have this hot-headed individual go into a hostile environment with the intent to harm and not the intent to, you know, settle the situation peacefully. So we definitely... You know, it's a training situation all the way around. You know, even even for the public, it sounds like, because you said something very key mm-hmm. early on. You said that when you're calling, you have to ask for a mental health yeah. unit. And a lot of people um, in the general public don't recognize that that, you know, when they call mm-hmm. and these situations are going down, that if they're dealing with somebody who has mental health issues, mm-hmm. that there may be a specialized unit that, that maybe does know a little bit more. They just simply call yeah. the police and, and whoever arrives, arrives. 
Yeah, and and I think that's important for the community as a whole because until we understand mental health as a whole, mm-hmm. it's still taboo for us. And, and, and still we understand that, you know, we have to educate ourselves on signs, symptoms, and what it looks like. And, 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 and approach it in a way We can't approach mental health situations normally it's a, it's a different situation altogether And a lot of times we ignore signs When someone that, that could have been saved in a situation If we would only pay attention to those, those signs That they might have been exhibiting And ask for some help for them Or help them get the help they may need it We might be talking about different situations here but again, it's 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 a deep rooted thing in our community where we have to get over the stigma of mental health and mental illnesses and, and thinking that mental health is for only for quote unquote crazy people. You know, again, I say it all the time: anxiety is a form of mental health, depending on what level it is. Depression is a form of mental health. So, anything that alters the mind in a in a sense where you're not thinking or you're not on a normal level of thinking means that you have some form of mental illness. So we have to be able to understand that and see that as such. So in our community, when it comes down to the churches, our politicians, and just the regular Joe on the street, we all need to take it upon ourselves to begin that process of educating ourselves. Pick up some books and start reading this stuff because there's plenty of material out here that's going to tell you what what it is, what it looks like, and what kind of help you can get for it because there's different types of therapy out there. Well, tonight we have been talking about Black Lives Matter, that entire movement, and all of the issues that have been facing some of the young African-American males that have found themselves at the receiving end of some of the most horrific um, shootings in my mind uh, that have occurred in our community by at the hands of those people who have really been designed to serve and protect us. And we'll be back in just a moment. We're, we're still waiting on the parents of Trayvon Martin, Sabrina Fulton, and Tracy Martin. Just in case they don't get a chance to make it here with us tonight, we're going to continue this discussion in just a moment. Back in a minute on Real Life, Real Faith with Cheryl Lacey Donovan. This is the news. This morning, we are saluting the 2.2 million women who have joined in the war effort. They now make up 37% of the workforce, changing their role forever. The prestigious Harvard Medical School is breaking ground today, opening its doors to new female applicants. Today, little girls all over the world look to the sky, where the first woman is now in space. Military stereotypes are challenged today with the trailblazing promotion of a U.S. female officer to four-star general. It was just announced that the vast majority of last year's doctorate degrees were earned by women. We've come so far, but our news is changing for the worse. More women die from heart disease and stroke than men, even though it can be prevented. Make a change at GoRedForWomen.org today. Brought to you by the Ad Council and the American Heart Association's Go Red for Women. Hi, I'm Layla Ali. I might be undefeated in professional boxing, but there's one problem even I can't fight alone. Childhood hunger. Over 17 million kids in America may not know where their next meal is coming from. That's one in five children. 
Yet billions of pounds of surplus food produced right here in America just get thrown out every year. That's more than enough to feed every last hungry child. That's why the Feeding America nationwide network of food banks gathers surplus food and gets it to hungry kids before it goes to waste. But they can't do it without your help. Join me in supporting Feeding America and your local food bank by going to feedingamerica.org. Together we can knock out hunger. Together we're Feeding America. To help solve hunger in your community and to find your local food bank, visit feedingamerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. Sabrina Fulton is dedicating her life to transforming family tragedy into social change. Since the death of her 17-year-old son, Trayvon Martin, during the violent confrontation in 2012, Fulton has become an The publicity surrounding Trayvon's death and the ensuing trial catapulted the country into national debate. Despite the intense struggle of losing a child, Fulton has become a role model to many by turning her grief into advocacy. Remaining strong throughout the trial and ensuing months, she lends her voice to speak against violence towards children and the need to build better, safer communities for all. Since the 2012 death of his son, Trayvon, in a violent confrontation, Tracy Martin has committed his life to transforming tragedy into change. Despite his devastating loss, Martin was able to channel his immeasurable heartache into the immense strength needed to elicit positive change. He now is fighting for the broad societal shift required to ensure that a similar incident never claims the life of another child. Martin's message of change extends to families from all walks of life. He encourages parents, relatives, caregivers, and teachers to let their sons, daughters, and other loved ones know that their lives are valuable and to stress that they are loved no matter how society views them. These are the things that uh, Trayvon Martin's parents are doing since his death. We're coming up on, a, I think, the four-year anniversary of that. It, it occurred back in 2012. And one of the things that we've been talking here tonight in their absence, and hopefully they will be able to join us at, uh, at a future date to give us some of their uh, insight, deals with the entire Black Lives Matter movement. And you hear some of the things that, that they are doing. Um, and one of the things that really struck me from this bio is when it says that um, he's, he's fighting for the, the broad societal shift required to ensure that a similar incident never claims the life of another child. And, however, since that has occurred, we've seen quite a few children who are still dying in incidents that are very similar to the one that occurred with Trayvon Martin. So, again, I ask the question, is the Black Lives Matter movement really making a change? Um, If not, what will it take to help them to make that change? What do we need to do in our communities in order to make that change? Hurley Morgan spoke very eloquently to, you know, some of the things that we could possibly do, teaching our children, our sons and our daughters, what they need to do when they're faced with certain situations, um, not turning the violence against ourselves. Um, I personally think what the president did today in trying to close some of the loopholes with some of the gun sales that are going on will help to a certain extent. But, but I do believe that it will require us 
to become the change that we want to see. We have to bring about the change in our own communities if we want this to stop happening. We have to be willing to stand up for what we believe in and um, including not just protesting, but doing some of the things that they did uh, many years ago. When we look at the civil rights movement, they did not just protest. They put some teeth to what they were doing by going in and creating litigation. They would sue different people in different places until the changes were actually made. And perhaps that's one of the pieces that's missing even now. Maybe we need to bring about, uh, find some of those Thurgood Marshalls and some of those individuals that were willing to go and, and do things by the book according to the law in order to change the laws that were in place so that we could have a better life and hopefully get to a place where we could live more equally in this society. I don't know what you think, but you can definitely hit us up on Facebook at Real Life Real Faith with Cheryl Lacey Donovan. We also have a Twitter presence. You can reach out to us at Real Faith Mag. That's Real Faith Mag as a magazine. Let us know what you think. Um, you can also visit our website, www.realliferealfaithmagazine.com. And uh, subscribe to the broadcast here on blogtalkradio.com. As always, we want to remind you that God can do exceedingly and abundantly more than you could ever ask or think according to the power that worketh in you. This has been Real Life, Real Faith with Cheryl Lacey Donovan. Be blessed.